Welcome to the Men in Hoodies podcast, where we take you on an excursion through everything in the sports world. Trending news, hot conversations, heated debates, and unlike sports shows such as First Taken Undisputed, things that you, the listeners, actually want to hear. Let's now go to your hosts, Brent Lyons, Roman Cleary, and Jake Stu. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 13th episode of the Men and Hoodies podcast. I am Jake Stoop alongside Roman Cleary, and it's been a while since I've said this, but Brent Lyons. Brent, it's good to have you <laughs> back, man. What's, what's life been like since you heard from me last? Uh, it's, it's good to be back. I'm excited to be back with you guys and have the whole gang here again. Um, it's been crazy. Just been running in Colorado and, and the mountains and having fun. So it, it was a treat, but I'm glad to be back here with you guys. There you go. Well, it's definitely a treat to be back with you tonight. And tonight is going to be a very interesting episode, all football, um, as you've been accustomed to the last few episodes. And today, big news came out with Deshaun Watson's probably most likely going to be six weeks out of the NFL season. Then we're going to go into some more stories from NFL training camp, which has been really fun to watch so far. And then we got Kyler Murray and his whole contract controversy. We'll get into the specific stats on that. Then we've got your AFC East breakdown and predictions, which the Buffalo Bills, New York, New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, and the New York Jets. So that's going to be fun to listen to and hear your predictions um, today. So I can't wait for this episode. And we're going to start out with Deshaun Watson, as I said, Roman. Six weeks potentially going to be out of the NFL. Do you think this is a fair punishment? Or what are, you, what are your thoughts on it? Well, it's certainly not a fair punishment. I think anyone with a logical brain uh, can agree with that. I mean, it's pretty obvious with all the details that we went over a few weeks ago on the Men and Hoodies podcast and like, what, the fifth or sixth episode um, that Deshaun Watson clearly has a constant pattern of sexual assault behavior. Um, He's been involved with at least 66 different masseuses, 20 plus accusations. There are others that aren't even getting involved in the lawsuits saying that he did this, he did that. So six games is obviously very light. But unlike you, Jake, I'm actually not very confident that it's going to stay at six games. I think the NFL knows that it has to, you know, hammer down on this. They've made mistakes with these types of suspensions in the past, and I don't think they want to do that again. So this is definitely going to get appealed. No question about it. They have three days to do it. They'll do it. Trust me, they will. And I think by the end of this, Deshaun will be suspended for more than half of the season, at least 12 games. But the big problem with the NFL's potential appeal of this is the NFL PA. They are obviously quite satisfied with where this is at. And if Roger Goodell goes in too heavy with this whole appeal, that could lead to a whole separate lawsuit with the NFL PA. So that is Roger Goodell and the NFL's only real hesitation when it comes to, you know, appealing the suspension and hammering down on Watson. But they're going to have to do it. Because six games, quite frankly, is unacceptable for Watson's behavior over the past year. Brent, what's your thoughts on it? Um, I agree with Roman in a sense. I think that it might be too light of a punishment. And we did talk about it a couple weeks ago, how we we all pretty much thought that it would at least be a year that he'd be out of the league before he came back. Um, I don't, however, think that they're going to extend it anymore just because of the anticipation that – the league has to see him play and the anticipation that uh, fans and organiza- organizations have and the Browns have to get him on the field. I think that uh, in a money business, um, 
this is a big money opportunity that they're missing out on if they don't let Deshaun play. And so I think that they're going to give him the slap on the wrist of six games and um, they'll let it go from there. But do I think there should be more? Probably. Yeah. I think that it should be more than six games, but I think that at the end of the day, um, they're going to choose to just go with the six game punishment and then let them start week seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been reading some quotes from the NFL and the NFL was really pushing for a one-year suspension. They just wanted to not have to think about him for a whole year with all these allegations going on. The NFL Players Association actually wanted the six games, but then Watson himself and his team thought zero games was the right move here. So just, you know, opinions all around the board here when it comes to what Watson has done. And I've seen, you know, some things that have said for this sort of assault and whatever you want to call it here, it would be a year according to the NFL's rules, and that's why they're backing it because, you know, that's what their rules are. But at the same time, the things that he did, according to what the judge said, I forgot her name. Um, it's but Sue Rob- the judge, Yeah, Sue Robinson. According to what she said, the assault cases, and you can, you know, assume this how you want to, but they weren't that physical, according to what she said and her basis off of all the facts that were given to her. I don't know what all that means. But I feel like that, you know, she's respectable enough to be able to trust that whatever suspension she gives is the right one. Now, I do think the NFL should have the final say on this. We've seen Calvin Ridley get a year ban off of football for gambling when it wasn't even his own team. I mean, that's a pretty harsh punishment for what some would say would be a lesser penalty when you're comparing it to Watson. So lots of opinions around the board here. Honestly, I just say suspend him and move on and, you know, just see what he can do when he comes back. I mean, Josh Gordon got suspended like 20-plus games for smoking weed. I mean, and I think anybody with a brain can see that Watson did actions that were a lot more egregious than that, or in Calvin Ridley's case, gambling. Six games is un- unacceptable for a case like this. As I already mentioned, the NFL has made plenty of mistakes with suspensions like this. And if they were to let these six games just stand as it is, I think that would just further worse in its image, which, which is mainly why I believe they're going to want to extend this at least a little bit. Yeah, and the, the hearing was only three days, which is kind of what I'm confused about. I feel like it should be longer for 23 cases to be settled. Well, yeah, that's fair. I get that. So, I don't know. A lot of confusion here about Watson, but, I mean, moving on with him, like moving to the next level of when he comes back. You know, everybody has different opinions on when he should come back. But, you know, starting with you, Roman, do you think the impact that he's going to have when he comes back to football is what we're going to see when he was with Houston? I mean, what are you expecting from him when he comes back? I don't expect him to be quite the same player that he was with Houston, at least not immediately. Because when you take, in essence, two years off of football, that's just what's going to happen. But Sean Watson is still Deshaun Watson. He's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I currently have him seventh in my top 10 quarterbacks list, which we'll hopefully get into in one episode or another. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if to answer your question, uh, like I already said, no, I don't think he'll be the same player that he was with Houston immediately, but he's definitely going to be an immediate upgrade over Jacoby Brissett and he'll make the Browns offense much more high. He'll make it better. I'm interested, interested to see what Kevin Stefanski is going to want to do now that he has a player like Deshaun Watson at his disposal. In terms of, like, 
the impact in terms of like wins and on the field play. I don't have it being as significant as as some people think. I have the Browns finishing nine and eight currently with where things stand. Watson comes back from his suspension, which I think is a little lower than most people would assume. But I went through the games after Watson comes back and updated the, you know, the, the schedule and all that. And I came up with nine and eight. So the six games is still going to ultimately cost Cleveland a chance at the playoffs, but the Browns will certainly look like a better team with Watson under center, even if he's not quite the same player that he was with the Texans. Yeah. And I think that when he comes back, he definitely has the potential to be as good as he was when he was with Houston. Um, at the same time though, it's also the Browns and they're not, <laughs> they're definitely not as talented as that Houston team was when Deshaun Watson was leading them. And just beyond talent-wise, the Browns have a way of messing over what could be good offensive years, good offensive uh, teams, good quarterbacks, good things like that. So I think that Deshaun Watson definitely has the potential to be um, the kind of guy or better than who he was in Houston. But like Roman said, essentially taking two years off of football, um, potentially more, and – trying to find his footing with a new team that hasn't had much success offensively um, and is way less talented on the offensive side of the ball than Houston was, it's going to be maybe a little bit of a struggle to get his feedback on it out, out from under him. So, but I definitely think the potential is there. Yeah, absolutely. And no matter what you want to say, it still is the Browns, <laughs> but hopefully by week seven, if that's when he comes back, Amari Cooper will be in stride. He'll hopefully he'll look better than he did in Dallas and you've got the running game going. Who knows what heck can happen there, but, Let's not forget what he did in the 2019-2020 season. I mean, he went in there and challenged the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium and should have beat them. I mean, they were up like 28-3 to at one point in that game. Should have beat them in Arrowhead. Kansas City obviously makes the incredible comeback to come back and win that game. He finished first in passing yards with 4,800 yards. Obviously one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the league at the time. 33 touchdown passes. I mean, this was the total package. And Houston – when you look back on it, they had a team, but all they had pretty much was Hopkins and injury-prone Will Fuller at the time. So when you're looking at potential with the Browns, I would say their offense is a little better than they had in, in Houston. At the time. I could see a lot from him, but at the same time, he hasn't seen NFL action in about two years now. Obviously, he's been through practice runs and done workouts on his own. But no matter what happens with all this case, I cannot wait to see him back on the field and um, you know, ready to get back on, on it. So. Y'all got anything else on Watson before we move on? Um, it's wrong to say that I can't wait to see him back on the field because, honestly, I can wait. Like I already said before, he does not deserve to play professional football again. I just don't think so based off of his actions and a person that he has been exposed to be. It feels very, honestly, talking about the football side of things with Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's clear and obvious that it's going to come up at one point or another but still, even after the suspension is announced, even after, you know, all things are seemingly settled, even though they're not completely settled yet, the NFL appeal still has yet to even come close to beginning. But, I mean, it still feels appropriate to be talking about the football side of it when it comes to Deshaun Watson. And the longer we have to wait, the it, I think, for the better. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would agree with you, and I know we do too. Um, on most of your points there. Moving on, Brent, we're talking about some NFL training camp stories. What's a, what's a fun story you've got that you've been looking at? 
Um, um, I don't know how fun it, I guess it necessarily is, but it's pretty cool. Uh, Roman's boy, Roman's kicker for the Steelers, Chris Boswell, got $20 million for four years. Uh, this ties the longest extension in NFL history for a kicker, tying J- Justin Tucker, and we know how good of a kicker he is. So I think that's pretty cool that uh, kickers are getting some respect. I mean, mm-hmm. I obviously love it. Chris Boswell <laughs> has been the second-best kicker in the league behind Justin Tucker for – two or three seasons now at this point. Ever since the 2019 season, Boswell's been pretty much automatic from any sort of distance, any range, and he's won multiple games for the Steelers. So I think this extension is definitely warranted. And, yeah, I'm very happy to keep the Boz in Pittsburgh for at least four more seasons, if not more, hopefully. Yeah, definitely a great signing there. And I think for what y'all paid him, that was pretty worth it on his part. I mean, coming in, in 2019 and changing the game. I mean, y'all had so many kicking issues before that season, and he came up and really gave y'all a solidified kicker um, at that spot. Some fun camp stories you've heard of that you want to talk about. Well, sticking with the Steelers, one I wanted to talk about was Mitchell Trubisky. He's seemingly poised to beat out Kenny Pickett for the starting quarterback job, which is not necessarily surprising, but it does raise some questions about Pickett and George Pickens has been arguably the Steelers' best player at training camp. He has just been absolutely phenomenal from what we've seen. And Calvin Austin, the rookie from Memphis, showing off his speeds and all that. So definitely a fun training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another one is that Arthur Smith (coughs) Falcons says that people that are overlooking the 2022 Falcons are the same people that thought that the iPhone wasn't going to work. (laughs) See, as a Falcons fan, I don't know how I feel about it. I, uh, as y'all know, I picked them 3-14. and 14. <sighs> So we'll see yeah. about that one. Sticking in the NFC South, um, Ryan Jensen, starting center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has been feared to suffer a left knee injury that's going to keep him out for the entire season. So that's kind of a blow for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Josh Allen apparently started a fight a few days back with Bill's defensive end Jordan Phillips in practice. Luckily, it got separated very quickly. But the main story I wanted to touch up on here, and I think the one that's the most interesting, Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the football perhaps right now, coming out with a very, very interesting quote, or a couple of quotes rather, about <laughs> black quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, here's the first one. Quote, obviously, the black quarterback has had the battle to be in this position that we have, that we are to have this in the league playing, end quote. And started the second quote, every day we are proving that we should have been playing the entire time. We've got guys that can think just as well as they can use their athleticism. It's always weird when you see guys like me, Lamar, Kyler kind of get that on them when other guys don't. But at the same time, we're going out there to prove ourselves every day to show we can be some of the best quarterbacks in the league. End quote. Mahomes needs to worry or work uh, rather on his speaking vocabulary there just a little bit. But anyway, um, based off of what Mahomes said, how true do you guys think this is? And, you know, like, what's your overall opinion on it, I guess? All right, you want to start off? <laughs> um, <coughs> sorry, I'm still getting <laughs> used to this. Um, I mean, I don't really – it was hard for me to track with it because it was kind of out of place and I don't know, but um, in some ways I think that he's right. I think that there's still a little bit of maybe 
I don't even know how to word it. Like they're pitted against, I guess, still a little bit, but at the same time, we know how good they are and we don't discount their greatness uh, by any means. I don't think, um, I don't, I don't think that, I mean, I know that I've never discounted like any player's skill based off that. I understand how good they are and that every player in that league has done um, exceedingly and beyond what anybody what the 99% of the world does to get to the position they're in. So I don't, take that lightly like I think that they're all great and just because you're better than like being better than somebody else has nothing to do with your skin color to me it's based on your skill level so it's not (laughs) I don't get the point that he's making there really unless I misunderstood it I mean to me when you look at the starting quarterbacks like almost half of them are African-American almost half of them so I don't know what this interview looked like I have no idea. To be, I read and heard of these quotes before you mentioned them. Yeah. In the moment, I was like, "This is dumb. This is another thing that the media tries to push." And what is Patrick Mahomes supposed to say? He's got to, I guess the word is represent. I mean, he's got to show up and he's got to speak his heart. And you know, I feel sorry for him if he actually believes that, because I really don't think that the NFL, when it comes to especially quarterbacks, is racist by any means. When you look at it, I'm looking at top contracts in total value right now. And almost all of them are quarterbacks. And one, two, three, four of them are African-American quarterbacks. Four of them. That is $140 million or more in total value over contracts, not including incentives. All of them within the past three years at least. All of them within the last two, excluding Russell Wilson. So I don't understand what he means there. I know there's probably more to the story, but based off of what you just said in the quote that I read, without doing much digging into it, I don't know why everybody's freaking out and saying that it's a hard road for him because, honestly, I don't, I don't see that at all. I mean, look at the NFL. 85% of it is African-American. You know, I just think people are bringing up, you know, the racial tensions that are supposedly there just to cause drama and just to make – light out of nothing. I really think talking about this divides us more than brings us together. So I think it's honestly all useless chatter. I mean, the point that Mahomes is trying to make is already a little iffy, but it just straight up feels insincere coming from someone like him because at this point, Mahomes gets very little to no criticism at all. People universally recognize him as either the best quarterback in the NFL or the second best. I mean, everyone loves Patrick Mahomes. Everyone loves the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, There's no hate really thrown Mahomes' way. Um, Kyler Murray has been clowned a little bit because of his contract controversies recently we're going to get into in just a moment. Now, Lamar has received some heavy criticism, but it has nothing to do with his skin color. It's the fact that since his 2019 MVP season, he has just quite frankly regressed as a player. The reason for that is because in 2019, John Harbaugh and Greg Roman designed a perfect system around Lamar Jackson. But once the league figured it out, Lamar has just not been the same player. And it's it's not like we haven't like we've we've had our share of poking fun at white quarterbacks as well. So I don't think <laughs> when when you make fun of that, like I think of Tom Brady and the thing with his kid. I we <laughs> I know that we poked fun uh, at that a couple of times. So I don't. So when I think of that, I don't think of 
making fun of it if we're especially when it comes to making fun of people i feel like if we if you're if the like fans are poking fun at players it's all around it's not just and it's definitely yeah. not based off skin color yeah but the the point i was making about lamar there is that like yeah sure while the criticism for him at times is warranted especially i mean because i'm someone that is also very critical of lamar jackson at times i don't like the way he, <laughs> i think his throwing mechanics aren't you know, very good either. He doesn't put great touch on the football. But his failures are also not much of his fault at the same time because the Ravens have not done a good job of supporting him. Eric DaCosta, for some reason, believes that all Lamar needs is Mark Andrews and J.K. Dobbins and just figure out. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if you want my opinion, I am looking to get out of Baltimore if I'm Lamar. I don't think the Ravens have done a good enough job in supporting him, and I think his talents – would be better off with a more forward-thinking front office, a front office that understands that a player like Lamar needs more weapons, a better offensive line. So, yeah, Lamar is definitely the most prominent guy that Mahomes used in terms of criticism from the media, but I think that has less to do with the skin color and more of just his on-the-field struggles that, uh, granted, aren't necessarily his fault. Yeah, absolutely. And going <laughs> back on Mahomes, like, or just this whole situation in general, did he did he specifically say black quarterbacks? Yeah, he said black. Yes. Okay, well that is like the most because that's the position that you can't be talking about because there's only thirty people in the entire world that start at QB, and 32. almost half of them are African American, and like Devontae Adams, Khalil Mack, those guys have two of the top ten contracts in NFL history. They're both African American. I'm pretty sure that more African Americans have higher contracts than, you know, white people do. So I don't really get all the controversy on that. But moving on, we mentioned Kyler Murray, and we wanted to get into this contract a little bit. If you are not aware, Kyler Murray signed a five-year, $230.5 million contract a little over a week ago. And I wanted to give some stats so we can give this thing a little light before we go into it and give our opinions. Kyler becomes the second-highest average paid player in NFL history, coming in at an average of $46 million per year, this is only behind Aaron Rodgers, who is making an average of $50 million a year. This is also the third as highest contract of all time in total value sitting at $230 million. That's not including incentives. Another stat for you guys, second highest amount of guaranteed money given any player at any time, ahead of guys like Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Holmes, and Josh Allen. The only guy he is behind, actually, is Deshaun Watson himself. So looking at all those stats. Uh, zilch. So looking How many at playoff games has he been in? Also zilch, but he's okay. only been in the league three years. So, Roman, what should we think of this former first overall pick getting this high of a contract this early in his career? I mean, from, like, as a player, uh, the talent, you know, the per Kyler Murray deserves the contract because I think he is that good or is going to be that good. I think he's already a top-10 quarterback in football. That's just based off his talent, abilities. The dude's got a ridiculously – you know, cannon of an arm. He moves extremely well inside of the pocket. And he's super dangerous with his legs as well. I think once Kyler gets better coaching than, let's be honest, Cliff Kingsbury, I think he's going to take the league by storm. So I think the contract and definitely in terms of like number value and all that is definitely worth it. Right. Talent-wise, I think yes. I think just solely based off talent and trajectory, he's worth the money. Um, 
how long he's been in the league is probably a question for me. Um, he's only been in the league three years, and it isn't like he's done anything special to that size. Like, sure, he's won. He's, he's got, like, all the hype. He's won games. He's done things. But they haven't since he's been like, and I understand this when you know that, like, we obviously know Arizona's going to make the playoffs down the line. Games and to this point, that hasn't happened. And typically, when you're paying a person money in the league, you've done something to warrant it so far. Besides just like, like, because anybody can have talent, it's different to have to put it onto a team and do league he won the Super Bowl and there that's something to earn but when you look at Kyler Murray sure he has a lot of talent but he hasn't but he hasn't done anything to like put that he hasn't put that talent anywhere into winning important games that matter yes it's I think it's worth it talent wise trajectory wise it will be worth it in the long run, but looking at based on accolades and things that he's done so far into why why so far did it justify the contract, I can't see why it would. Um, Brent, just to correct you there, the Cardinals did make the playoffs last year. They just they lost to the Rams in the wild card. Oh, okay. Sorry. They ah, made the playoffs and lost, they made the playoffs and lost in the wild card. Yeah, to the Super Bowl champions. <laughs> but, yeah. They probably would have so lost. So looking at this from Maybe so, yeah. But looking at this for me, I I like it from a standpoint of the future because you look at when he came into Arizona. Arizona had just fell off with Carson Palmer and all that jazz that went on. They were sitting at 5-10 and 10 and 1, I believe. They were just struggling as a franchise. Kyler comes in. They go to 8-8. Eight and eight, Then they go to, I believe, 10-7, and seven, and now they're 11-6. and six. I think that the trajectory is there. I mean, ever since he came in, he's shown that he can, you know, get some more dubs on the board than they've had in the past. And you brought in guys like James Conner, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, dynamic linebacker in Isaiah Simmons as well from the draft. Drafted him top 10 a couple years ago. But you've seen this team continue to grow under his leadership. And there was a bunch of stuff going on in the offseason about contract disputes. Like Kyler wanted to move if he didn't get this kind of money. So from I want to hear you guys' perspective on this. If you're Arizona and your first first overall pick, the guy that you're putting all your future in, is it okay to pay him this amount of money when he threatens to leave? Like, what do you do at that point if you're a franchise? Um, when it's a player like Kyler Murray, you just pull the trigger, plain and simple, because he's going to be a great quarterback in the league at some point, if he isn't already. So, Yeah, I agree with you. Brent, you got a take on that? Um, I think part of me would be cautious because players with that, like, explosive mentality, like, if you don't give me something, I'm leaving. That's, I mean, that's something to be worried about. That eventually down the line at some point, if things aren't going his way, he could all of a sudden just pull the trigger and demand a trade or something like that. It's, it's never good for your franchise, especially when you're paying that much money. So I think that in that sense, I'd be maybe a little bit worried about because young in the league and he's already saying this kind of stuff about if you don't give me this kind of money I will leave you so that makes me think when like 
at the forefront of the season and maybe they're going through a rough patch or maybe he gets into it with a code or something like that one day and then everything starts to spiral downhill and all of a sudden you have $250 million three-year player forcing a trade because somebody stole his cookie at lunch and he doesn't so I think that I, I think that it really it like I think it's still worth it. You're worried about considering that he's still very young and he's still threatening to maybe leave the organization because he's not getting the third most paid money to a player ever all time. Um that concern that you just mentioned right there, um, quite frankly it's irrelevant because midseason trade requests just do not happen in the NFL. They just don't happen especially when you're a quarterback making $230 million. You know, that is way too much capital, way too much money to just trade off the books, especially in the middle of the season. So, well, right. I, I, I get it. I, I, I was giving an example saying that if he gets upset at any point, it could all be for nothing. then one time that he gets upset and now it's all down the drain eventually. And he could no longer want to be there, and during in the middle of the season, you could see him no longer want to be there. Obviously, I understand, like that's not how it works. But we've obviously mm-hmm. seen way more power go to the player, in which if he says he doesn't want to do something, all of a sudden he just doesn't have to do it anymore. Even though the organization is paying him three hundred million dollars to play a sport, he can just say, "Oh, I don't want to play a game," and they have nothing they can really say about it. So, like from yeah, that perspective, and I, I don't think if I'm Kyler Murray, I am shutting my mouth. He made $30 million from signing a piece of paper. That's more money than I guarantee you 85% of NFL players over their entire career are going to make. That is so much money. $30 million right off rip, and then you're going to make $46 million a year. I would shut my mouth and take my money and give them the best football I can for five years and see what happens after that. I think that – I think there's a concern, Brent, but I don't think it's anything that you said. I think that the way he plays can be a concern. Because I think other than a body type like Josh Allen, if you are a um, dynamic or dual threat quarterback, we've seen this with Lamar Jackson. When he's on the field, he is explosive. He's going to win you games. He's going to be one of the best QBs in the league, but he is very injury prone, especially with a guy like Kyler Murray, who is so small. Luckily, he's so fast, we can get out of balance the majority of the time. But other than that, if he decides to get a little bit more aggressive, I think we could see maybe some potential injuries there. So we've got to watch that moving forward. But ultimately, I think he will earn this type of money. Um, And I think it's going to be a good thing for the league because we're seeing this in the NBA as well where contracts are being pulled out of the books like nothing we've ever seen. Money is being thrown out to players. I mean, kind of like you mentioned Chris Boswell. Who knew that the future of the NFL would be paying kickers $20 million um, overall? But I think it's going to create a ripple effect. I could see guys like Justin Herbert starting to get extensions. Um, as well as Joe Burrow getting these big, massive contracts. And I think this is just – honestly, this is a low bar for what we're going to see in the future for guys that, in my opinion, have a way higher ceiling than Kyle Murray. Yeah, but we need to understand that this isn't the NBA. NFL players aren't deep. They are professionals knowing they're not going to trade in the middle of the season. It's just not going to happen. If players yeah. have power in the NBA, so that opens them up to that type of behavior that just doesn't happen in the NFL. So until some major player and power movement happens in the NFL, like it once upon a time did in the NBA, there's no way that scenario would ever play out. Yeah, I definitely hope not. I think that would be bad for the league. 
And the more money you pay players, it seems like the more they're going to gripe and complain and all these players want their money. So I definitely think I'm a guy that thinks athletes should get paid as much as possible because of the work they put in to get there and how much toll goes on their body. But at the same time, the more you give, you know, a kid some candy, the more he's going to want, you know, and he's going to go at links to get it. So we'll see what happens there. But do you all have any last thoughts on Kyler before we get into the AFC East? I mean, we, we talk about the fact that the Cardinals are treating him like a high schooler and all that. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But yeah. All right, so I guess we'll get into it. AFC East, Jets, Dolphins, Patriots, Bills, Brent, start with you. What's your take on the Jets this season? Um, so I probably have the Jets finishing a little higher than most people do. They're not going to make the playoffs or anything. Um, I have them finishing at 8 and 9. Whoa. And – I think they're going to be the 12th seed in the AFC. Um, I think – oh, sorry, in the three seed in the division. Pardon my, pardon me for skipping out on the division. Um, I think that they'll be the three seed in the division. I think that they have a lot of uh, young guys and um, a very underrated roster that I think that with their schedule could come together this year as they don't have – like they have hard games that they'll obviously lose, but the games like – that I have like the eight games that I have them winning, like they could win. Like it's not like it's completely out of the question for the for these guys to win games. And like I said, they have a really young roster um, with lots of promise, I think. And so I think the eight again. Uh, I'm sorry that I don't have as much. Well, I normally don't have as much in depth detail on them as like Roman does, but um, don't have much on. Like they're a young team. They have. Um, a nice young offense. They drafted Brees, uh, Brees Hall this year. He might not start, but they have like a lot of depth at the receiver and running back, um, working on quarterback still a little bit. But I think that there's a lot of promise there and that if they can figure out how to just handle it, I think eight and nine is a very realistic record. And I will request, while Roman is going, can you find those eight games that you have them winning and write down who yeah. they're against? Because I'm really interested to hear that. So, yeah, Roman, what yeah. you got on the Jets? Um, before I about <coughs> to move on from Kyler, um, because we, because the Cardinals gave him an, a, a assigned four hour independent study per week, because there were some concerns about his off the field study habits. Just one of my thoughts on that, real quick. Kyler just needs to grow up and just focus up on that. The Cardinals ended up taking that clause clause off of his contract after um you know, the social media outrage and all that kind of stuff. And that probably just embarrasses the Cardinals even more because they just didn't take that seriously enough. The Cardinals aren't taking much seriously right now. So, yes, just embarrassing all around for both sides, for both Kyler and the Cardinals, you know, that whole ordeal. But moving on to the New York Jets and the AFC East, I am not nearly as high on the Jets as Brent is apparently. I have them finishing 5-12, and 12, which is good for dead last in the AFC. Let's talk about this football team here real quickly now. Zach Wilson, second-year quarterback from BYU. He was a guy that I was extremely high on coming out of BYU. One of the better quarterback prospects that I've ever evaluated. I loved pretty much everything about Zach Wilson coming out. But I'm not shocked that he struggled in his rookie season because he's a rookie quarterback playing for the Jets, and that's what they do. But I'm definitely excited to see if he can, you know, take a step up. And he's got an offense around around him that can do it. Michael Carr's probably going to be your starting running back here. He's pretty good. Second-year player from North Carolina. Obviously, the rookie, Brees Hall from Iowa State. Receiving core is actually pretty good. 
um, Corey Davis, the former Titan, Garrett Wilson, the rookie from Ohio State, and Elijah Moore, second-year player from Ole Miss, who a lot of people are excited about. Denzel Mims and Braxton Berrios are also a part of this wide receiver group. Going on to the offensive line, George Fant from Seattle, decent player. Lakin Tomlinson, Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Mekhi Becton, one of the best right tackles in football. So, pretty good offensive line there, actually. Uh, a couple of decent players and one elite player, Mekhi Becton. And you have the former uh, Cincinnati Bengals, C.J. Uzama, at tight end. Also, Tyler Conklin is there from Minnesota. This defense here, pretty interesting. The former Bengal and Carl Lawson, who you gave big money to last offseason. Quentin Williams, best defensive tackles in football. John Franklin Myers, one of the most underrated players in the league. I really, really like him. Jermaine Johnson, the rookie from Florida State. Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley are your inside line. And the secondary, decent, I guess. You got Sauce Gardner. They're your first, fourth overall. Michael Carter, the second and DJ Reed make up the rest of the corner group. And at safeties, you have LaMarcus Joyner, the former Ram and Raider, and also Jordan Whitehead, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So this is a reloaded Jets team. Lots of good talent here, but Zach Wilson still leaves a question mark. We don't know how Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur and Jeff Ulbricht are going to do here with this. And the defense definitely has a lot of talent on paper, but we just don't know how it's going to pan out. So, yeah, the Jets, pretty decent mark for them here. If they go a little bit higher than that, I wouldn't be shocked. But I'm kind of at a wait-and-see point right now with the Jets, so I'm just going to play it safe and put them at 5-12. and 12. Yeah, and I like end. both of those takes. But, oh, yeah, I want to hear these uh, eight games you've got. And I did. I It should be 7-10, and 10, not 8-9. and nine. I accidentally okay. gave them a game by accident. But, <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so, first game week two would be the Browns without Deshaun Watson. I think that that's a game that they can pull off where the Browns are kind of struggling. Um, and then I obviously am very low on the Steelers. So, I have the Jets as the game that the Steelers would fall to them. We ain't uh, lo- I think – what? We ain't losing to the Jets. Come on now. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. And uh, And I do have them losing week five to the Dolphins. I think that the Dolphins, while I think they'll be pretty good this year, I think that at some times they'll struggle. And the Jets are known, even though and how bad they have been in the past, um, <clears throat> Seahawks a couple years ago, just find a way to beat really good teams for no apparent reason when the season doesn't matter. Um, another game I have them winning would be against um, – sorry, I have them. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. I have them beating um, the Patriots one out of two times. Um, I yeah, and then Chicago in week twelve, and then uh, following that in week sixteen, I have them beating the Jaguars, 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 and then week seventeen, I have them beating the Seahawks. Oh, and, I yeah, respect that. that. Good job. And then that makes seven and ten. Gotcha. That's interesting. I I was looking at their schedule earlier today, and I was like, wow, this is tough. Like, I'm – honestly, I'm a believer in the Jets moving down the line. But I will say, if the Miami Dolphins hadn't acquired Tyreek Hill, if they hadn't have won eight games in a row, and if they hadn't have, you know, just improved with their coaching as well, who people can argue about that. Lots of changes being made in Miami, and I think they're going to improve this year, and that's the only reason I have the Jets repeating last season is because they're not going to control their division – they're going to lose games probably to – I actually have them 0-6 in the division, 
I don't have them winning huh. one game. I have them finishing at four and thirteen, fifteenth in huh. the conference. I was actually lower on them, um, and then I added a few games because I looked at their schedule last season and I was like, okay, they're definitely going to improve. So I have them at four and thirteen, two and ten in the conference. But looking at this roster, I think it is improved. I like unlike Roman, I was not high on Zach Wilson last season, and really Mike White in the games that he played played better than Zach Wilson. That was interesting to me, but Zach Wilson obviously had his drama this offseason, so we'll see if he can come out and improve. Um, Brees Hall, I think Michael Carter should start over Brees Hall. I like what Brees did at Iowa State um, when he was playing there, but I really think that Michael Carter, what you got from him last season in his rookie season, shows promise. So I like what he's um, could show us this season. Otherwise, they've got really good running back depth, adding Tevin Coleman as well. I believe they had him last year, but still a good addition. Garrett Wilson. I think was underrated coming into this offseason. Um, he was passed on by a lot of teams. He wasn't really even the best wide receiver on his team, some would argue, with Chris Olave being better than him. So I think he could come out and prove people wrong. Um, but still, have, as a wide receiver three for Garrett Wilson, that's so solid. A guy that's played three years in college, he could be good. C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin, as you mentioned, two really good tight ends last year. I mean, they were about mid-tier, and then having them both on the same team battling it out in training camp. I think we could see a really good tight end emerge from that. Really underrated tight ends as we're moving in fantasy season as well, in my opinion. But as looking at the defense, as you said, Sauce Gardner is one of the most promising young players that we've seen. He's got all the confidence in the world, and I expect that to translate to this Jets defense. And they've got a lot to prove, and I think that's something that we're going to see. We're going to see a fire and an energy from them this season that you know is not seen very many seasons from the Jets, especially in the last decade. But I could see them come out and surprise some people, but it's not going to come in the division. I have them surprising Baltimore. I have them beating uh, I have them beating Chicago, not Cincinnati. And I have them winning back-to-back games at the end of the season against the Lions and the Jaguars. Those are the only games I have. I really don't expect them to beat teams that, in my opinion, have way better records than they do at the end of the season. I don't think they'll split with the Patriots. I have the Patriots finishing a little better than them. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on the Jets, but Moving on, we've got the Miami Dolphins next. Roman, you kick this one off. Okay, so Miami, this is actually going to be kind of a hot take, I think. I'm not too sure, but I have the Dolphins at 7 10. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Is good for third in the AFC East and 11th overall in the AFC. As always, start a quarterback with Tua Tunga Viola. I am not very high on him at all. I don't think anyone really is. He is shown to not be a very NFL-level starter throughout his first two years. He does not have a great arm. He is not very accurate. Um, just doesn't have many intangibles that you're looking for in a starting NFL quarterback. But he's got seemingly a better situation around him with Mike McDaniel coming in from San Francisco. And he is clearly trying to you know, emulate the Kyle Shanahan type of offense here with Tua Tungavaiola and the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, the double running back committee of Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert from the 49ers, also Miles Gaskin and Sony Michelle are there. So four decent level running backs there, which is not something that you see in a lot of teams. Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, obviously two of the maybe the fastest wide receiver room we've ever seen. Tyreek Hill mm. is such a big addition, obviously, but I just am not very confident that the Dolphins are going to be able to use him properly. I do think they took a downgrade in coaching. I think Brian Flores is a leader of men, a real, you know, 
winning type of coach. We don't know if Mike McDaniel is going to be that yet. So we'll see about that. Cedric Wilson is also a part of this receiving core. Offensive line, you have one really good player in Toronto, Armstead, but that's about it. Liam Liam Eikenberg, not great. Connor Williams, not great. Robert Hunt, not great. Austin Jackson, trash. So, yeah, offensive line is still pretty bad. Mike Kosicki at tight end is obviously a great player. So, yeah, that's it for the offense. And this defense is not great on on paper, but it has performed well under Brian Flores over the past couple of years. So we'll see if that translates. Um, Emmanuel Agba, Raquan Davis, and Christian Wilkins make up your defensive line. Andrew Van Ginkle, uh, Landon Roberts, and Jerome Baker. Uh, also, Jalen Phillips make up your linebacking core. And the secondary is probably the best part of the defense with, obviously, Xavier Howard, one of the best corners in football, Byron Jones, uh, Nick Nemed, And at, for, at the safety spot, you have Javon Holland and Brandon Jones. So I actually think the offense on paper is the strong point of this team, but the defense has performed really well recently. So the Dolphins are kind of a question mark, kind of like the Jets are. But I do think Miami just has a bit better talent on the offensive side of the ball. And I do think Mike McDaniel will be a pretty solid play caller for them. I think Tua will probably have his best season yet statistically. But will that translate to a winning season for Miami? Not. So, yeah, 7-10 and 10 for the Dolphins, at least for me. Quick question, Roman. Do you think that you're, the poor performance from Tua or the poor defense is going to affect them more this season? Um, I think it still is Tua. I still think he is the biggest weak weak point of this team. I think the sky is the limit for a team like Miami um, with a better quarterback. And I don't think the defense is poor. I just don't think it's very talented on paper. They've proven people wrong over the past two seasons. So will they be able to do it again without Brian Flores calling the shots? That's a big question mark for me. So I do think the defense will be worse than the past couple of years under than it was, you know, under Flores. But still, Tua is definitely the biggest weak point for this team. You got it, Brent. Well, uh guess we're disagreeing twice. <laughs> um, a little bit higher on the Dolphins. Um, have them finishing second in the division at 10-7. and seven. Uh, I am also a little more higher on Tua than most people are. Not extremely, but I think the right amount. Um, he hasn't had great seasons, but I think that um, he's being given an opportunity right now to prove himself, and he also has backup QB Teddy Bridgewater behind him. And Teddy Bridgewater is by no means a stellar player, but I think he's good enough to help Tua out a little bit. Fire under him. They also have players like Taron Armstead and uh, Xavier Howard and, of course, Jalen Waddle and um, and Tyree Kill and stuff like that and players like these guys. And I already mentioned Teddy Bridgewater, who I think could be important for the Dolphins. But I think that 10 and 7, I do have them finishing 2 and 4 in the division. Um, I have them missing out on the playoffs, um, getting ninth uh, in the AFC. But I think that overall, it's a step in the right direction for the Dolphins. And I think that 10 and 7 is an appropriate record. And I'm right with you, Brent. Dolphins finished 10-7. I actually have them finishing 4-2 and two in the division. <coughs> um, sweep – no, they split with the Patriots. Uh, they sweep the Jets, as I mentioned, and then they will also split with the Bills. I think they take a game against them. 10-7, and seven, I also have them finishing ninth in the conference. 
Um, and I think this team is going to improve. I think it's impossible to say that they're going to stay around the same after they finished last season, regardless of who's calling the shots and who's running that team. All they did was improve this offseason in the draft, but also with um, the quarterbacks as well. I think you're you're overshadowing to his ability a little bit. I know that what we see from camp is not, you know, means that much until the season starts, but I really think that what we've seen from Tua is really promising. And the way that he finished last season, especially with the chemistry that we see between him and Jalen Waddle, and then, you know, I've seen some deep balls that Tua's been able to throw, which has been his question mark. Can he throw the deep ball? And that's what I've seen from him so far to Tyree Kill. I mean, both of Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle have similar play styles. And my question is, is there really a team good enough to put two corners on these guys that can guard both of them without, you know, with limiting either of them? And I think that question is, the answer is no. I think that we're going to see a dynamic offense this year. I think it's going to be one of the best offenses in the league. And you look at the running back room as well, extremely underrated. A lot of these guys are mid-tier, high mid-tier players, but I think most underrated running back room in the entire NFL with Chase Edmonds, he is lightning fast from Arizona last year. He had some injury concerns, and they didn't want to give it to him at the goal line. And who would when you've got James Conner on the team? Raheem Mostert, former guy from San Francisco. Sony Michelle, who is a Swiss Army knife for whatever team he plays for, he was that exactly for the New Orleans – or the, I keep messing them up – New England Patriots. And then he went to Los Angeles and did that for them last season, winning a championship. And then Miles Gaskin, who was actually the running back one going into last season – um, him with Salvin Ahmed, and then he ultimately fell in that But because we saw Salvin just take over there. But really deep running back room. So I think this offense, like Roman said, I think it's going to carry the load, but I really expect more out of Tua than you do. I think the chemistry that he's got with Waddle is always going to be there no matter what. And who do you guard? Like, who do you put your best corner on, Tyreek or Waddle? And then the better question is, who are you going to leave with a lesser cornerback on him? So I think that's a great question, not to mention Cedric Wilson. He played well last year in Dallas, and you've got Mike Gusecki, who is now arguably a top seven tight end in the league. So great offense there. The question marks are on the defensive side of the ball, if anything. I think that, you know, last year we got to see them start to improve on that area of the ball. So I think that we could see some improvement there. But like you said, Brian Flores is such a good coach. The question marks will be on the defensive side. So I'm looking forward to see what they bring to the table this year. But overall, I think they improve and finish at 10-7. and seven. I mean, I'm a guy that's pretty obviously of the opinion that coaching matters more than talent, and I think the Dolphins took a downgrade in coaching. So it's hard for me to believe that the Dolphins are going to be a better team. I understand that they seemingly have a bit more talent on paper, but I just do not believe in Tua Tonga Viola at all. And I don't believe in the defense much more without Brian Flores calling the shots on that side. So I I mean, like... out of a train wreck for Miami. Um, but they are a talented team, so they do win seven games. But at the end of the day, culture overpowers everything in the NFL. And the Dolphins, their culture is in question right now. I mean, firing a coach like Brian Flores is definitely a red flag for the for that organization. So, yeah. I mean, I'm- let's – to be honest, though, should we really hype up Brian that much? I mean, he started off the season awful – he lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row. <coughs> you know, like he was not that quality of a guy until Tua started to come back off of injury and get back in his swing. I mean, once Tua came back, that's really when you see this team start to improve. I I, I still think 
Brian Flores has more to do with that than anything. I mean, to start out one and seven and finish eight and nine is just quite an incredible accomplishment. And you need a top level coach to do that. There's a reason why Mike Tomlin wanted to hire him on his staff. So, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so high on Steelers this year compared to a lot of people, because their coaching staff is absolutely loaded. When you have Mike Tomlin and Brian Flores on your staff, it's going to be hard for you to fail, plain and simple. Flores is going to do wonders for Miles Jack and that Steelers linebacking core. And without that presence with the Miami Dolphins, I think there are a lot of question marks, especially with that defense. And Tua still is not a high-level quarterback in my eyes. And I don't know. Even with Tyreek Hill on the roster, even with Jalen Waddle seemingly, you know, poised to have a better year, I'm just not sure how it's going to go. Gotcha. Well, we'll see how it plays out. Brent, I'm uh, I'm really interested to see what you have here for New England because it seems like you've got the one in the four spot left. So uh, what's your your take on New England? I have one and four left, and I'm sorry they're not one, but it's close. I have them finishing six and 11. I actually have – I actually have the Dolphins, Jets, and Patriots all splitting games with each other, so they all finished two and four in the conference. Um, I think that um, they well, obviously they'll miss it on the playoffs. I'm finishing thirteenth in the AFC, uh, six and eleven, like I mentioned. Um, I don't think they necessarily got worse this offseason. Obviously, they signed Devontae Parker on offense, which uh, helps out Mac Jones a little more. Uh, I just think that the competition around them got better. And I think that when you're not getting much, like when you stay stagnant and everybody else around you is getting better and building their team up, especially in your division, the division over the past couple of years has gotten way better since um, when the Patriots were on top of it last. So I think that that's part of it because they went 10 and seven last year with, with a rookie quarterback, which is by no means bad. I just think that the team, the teams in their division this year have gotten so much better. Like I have them splitting with the Dolphins, like I said, uh, I have them losing a game to the to the Packers. Um, I have them losing a game to the Colts. Again, I said they split with the Jets. I have them losing to the Vikings, Cardinals, Raiders, Bengals. Like just and, and the con- like Bills. Uh, I just again, this conference is really really good this year. This division is better than it has been in the past. Better than it was last year by far. Um, with the emergence of the actual other two teams in the conference deciding to play football for the entire year, hopefully. So I think that that. Just overall, it's a better division. I don't think the Patriots will be bad. Just luck of the draw, they didn't get much better. So 6-11 and 11 is where I have them. <coughs> oh, when we're talking about the Patriots, they are actually a team that got worse in the offseason. Is that going to matter in terms of the placement in their division? No. I have them finishing second in the division with an 8-9 and nine record, just like last year. They went 10-7 and seven last year, I think, with the loss of the talent that, you know, is present here. I think they dropped two games. But this is still a really solid football team led by the greatest head coach in the history of professional sports. So they're not going to be terrible. That's not, a hot take. That's going to happen. Um, Mac Jones, obviously a quarterback. I mean, a lot of people are Mac Jones. I'm, I can't say I'm high on him, but I like him. I really do like him. And I think he'll be a pretty solid starting quarterback in the league for years to come. Damian Harris at tailback is obviously a really, really exciting player. Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers make up your receiving core. Pretty good. Nelson Aguilar is also a part of that. And this offensive line is still pretty good with Trent Brown, the rookie from Chattanooga, Cole Strange at left guard, David Andrews, Michael Nwanu, and Isaiah Wynn at right tackle. This tight end group is really exciting. 
Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Defense, some, you know, less known names on that side of the ball, but it's Bill Belichick coaching that defense along with his son, Steve, and Jared Mayo. So I think it'll be fine. Dietrich Wise Jr. at defensive end, Lawrence Guy, and Christian Barmore at defensive tackle. At your linebackers, you have Matt Judon from Baltimore, Jawan Bentley, Raquan McMillan, and yeah, that makes up your linebacking core. And in the secondary, it's Terrence Mitchell, Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones, Devin McCourty, and Kyle Duggar, who's actually been really, really good. Probably kind of a you know surprising player. Jabril Peppers is also a, a player to watch out for with that safety group. I understand it's not the most talented team on paper, but you still got a really good quarterback compared to other quarterbacks in the league. And Mac Jones, he's a top 20 fringe, top 15 quarterback in the league. Damian Harris is a fantastic player at running back. This receiving core is still pretty good. And this defense, I think, is going to be good once again. It's not going to be as good as last year, obviously, with the loss of J.C. Jackson. But still, I like this team a decent bit. Not close enough, not even close enough to making the playoffs at only 8 and 9. My worst playoff team is 11 and 6 in the AFC. <laughs> but still, I think the Patriots are going to be able to hold it together. Bill Belichick is not quite the general manager that he once was, but he's still phenomenal. And I mean phenomenal head coach, and there's no way he's going to let this group fall into one of the worst teams in the league. So, before I go, you said that you think Bill Belichick is the best coach in the history of sports? Is that I, I, I said professional sports. Professional sports. So, not college, we're not counting that? No. Okay. Gotcha. Just, uh, just making sure. I was checking up on that because that was a bit of a hot take. But uh, for me, I have them same as you. I have them eight and nine, finishing third in the division. So, that's where we differ. I'm more high on the Dolphins. Um, three, in the, three in the division. I have them, I believe, dropping both to Buffalo. Yeah, I have them dropping both to Buffalo yeah. and then splitting with everybody else. <laughs> that's how it goes. Or no, they might take they might beat the Jets twice. I think that's what it is. But either way, I I think this team did not improve, like you said. I don't expect this team to get better. And the only reason I have them eight and nine is coaching and its culture. Coaching and culture is the only reason I have them this high. We saw them finish ten and seven last year with arguably not even close to what should have been a playoff team. With what they had, I mean, a rookie, Mac Jones, who, I mean, you had your opinions on him coming into his rookie year. He fell to 15 in the draft. Wasn't very high on him, to be honest with you. They come in in 10 and 7, but I think they they regress here. Their receiving core is glass, if we're being honest. Devontae Parker has been hurt so much in Miami. I'm glad he got out of there because he was just falling apart there. But we'll see what happens there. He should by no means be wide receiver one, in my opinion. Jacoby Myers, he – played solid last year just again mid-tier rookie Kendrick Bourne to be honest I don't even know much about him he did not do well last year I I know because I picked him up in fantasy last year and he did not show out when I did so all of these receivers have question marks and to be honest you can't really rely on the running game either we I remember watching a game last year against the Buffalo Bills when they ran the ball every single play and you can't do that when you move down the line that was a game where it was extremely freezing and that was the only option you had. And that is not going to be a realistic expectation for this team. So I expect them to try to throw the ball and not have much success with it. So we'll see what happens there with Mac Jones and this offense. Defense, I think, is solid. It's They always have a solid defense no matter who's there. Devin McCourty's there. Kyle Ducker's there. Duggar is there. Malcolm Butler's there. He's a legend. So you've got these guys that are back there that 
are promising. It's experienced. It's a good defense. But, again, the improvement on the top half of this division is what I'm looking at here, and we'll get into it in a minute with the Buffalo Bills. But I think they improve. I think the Dolphins improve. So, really, same team as last year in my eyes, maybe a tiny bit of improvement, but the improvement around them and how good the AFC is this year, I don't think they stand a chance when it comes to playoff time. So, that's my thought on them. I'm interested to hear you guys' Buffalo because you guys have been a little low in every record category than I have, which means that you have a lot more wins to hand out for Buffalo. So I want to, I want to see uh, want to see where this goes. I've got them at 14. What y'all got them at? All right. Is it Buffalo time? Are we... It's <laughs> Buffalo time. Bill time, maybe. All right. So the Buffalo Bills. I have them 13 and four. Not only first huh. in the FC East, but first – in the entire AFC, top to bottom, this is the best team in football, in my opinion. And I expect them to not only represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, but also to win it. That is the expectation for mm. Buffalo heading into the show. They are my Super Bowl pick, and I think it's for a very good reason. Josh Allen just became a whole nother player in the 2022 playoffs. Like, plain and simple. Some of the best quarterback play I've ever seen in my life. And if that carries over, oh boy. Like, just, oh boy. Um, Devin Singletary, James Cook, and Zach Moss make up your running back room. That's a pretty solid core, in my opinion. Stefan Diggs is phenomenal. Gabe Davis is phenomenal. And Isaiah McKenzie is also a really good weapon. And you added Jamison Crowder. Yes, the- sir. Which is pretty solid. Nice addition. So, those are your four receivers there. Good, good room. And this offensive line, very good. Deion Dawkins has very very improved over the past two years. Roger Saffold's a really good guard. Mitch Morse from Kansas City at center. Ryan Bay, Spencer Brown make up the right side of your line. Some depth there is Cody Ford, a former starter for you. And this defense, I think, is really underrated. I think this is a really underrated defense under Sean McDermott. Um, Greg Rousseau, Ed Oliver, and Daquan Jones make up your defensive line. But Vaughn Miller is the big addition here off the edge. That's just phenomenal. Your linebacking core is also great with Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds. And this secondary is overpowered. You have Kier Alam, the first-round rookie from Florida, replacing Levi Wallace, who signed with the Steelers. But he's surrounded by four other elite-level players, plain and simple. Tredavious White and Teron Johnson make up the rest of the cornerback room. And safety core is just ridiculous. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. This is just a phenomenal football team from top to bottom. My only real concern is that you lost Brian Dable, who has been such a phenomenal play caller for you over the past two years. But Ken Dorsey is a guy that's been trained up to this role for a long time, and I believe in the culture that Sean McDermott has set in Buffalo. And if Kier Alam plays up to the level that Levi Wallace did, and perhaps even bigger, this is going to be the best secondary in football. No question about it. So I think the Bills are locked, loaded, and ready. They've suffered enough playoff losses as it is. I think finally their time. It's finally their year. It's them versus the field, in my opinion. So, yeah, the Bills, not only are they going to win the AFC East, not only are they going to win the AFC <coughs> So, yeah, that's my take on the Bills. Uh, Roman, who are those four games you have them losing to? Quick question. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me take a look at that. All right. Bray, you can start if you want. And Roman can look at it. Um, so I have them fourteen and three as well as Jake said. Um, right before Roman went, I think that the potential for fifteen and two is there. 
I have the, the, my three losses uh, are first week against the defending champions. I have them losing to the Rams. Um, I have them losing to the Bengals late in the season. And I also right now have them losing to the Browns in week 11, but that's just based off if Deshaun Watson is playing. Obviously, if he's not, no way they lose. But um, I think that, I think that there's a chance that the Browns stun with Deshaun Watson in week 11. It just seems like the kind of game that the Browns would win to throw the Bills off a little bit. But for me, 14-3, obviously I don't need to go into much depth. Roman uh, did a great job explaining um, how great this team is. Uh, I have them leading the AFC uh, at 14-3. They would be the number one seed. Uh, I have them not losing a game in the division, obviously being the first team in the division representing them in the playoffs um, as the only team. And I think that this is just a great team all around, and they've learned from their mistakes. Josh Allen is a top three quarterback in the league right now. And I think that the sky's the limit for this team, and I think Super Bowl is is on the mind of the Bills right now. So, Oh, yeah. My three losses for Buffalo, <coughs> um, my three losses for Buffalo are um, week one on the road against the Rams. I think that's just a tough game for them to win. I actually have them losing to Green Bay at home in week eight, and their final is going to be in week 13 on the road against New England. So, yeah. That's gotcha. it. Those are respectable oh. for sure. I have them finishing first in the conference at 14 and three. The only game in the division I have them losing is on, on the ro- on the road at the, uh, at the Dolphins in Miami. The three games I have them losing, uh, we all share week one. I think they drop week one to Los Angeles. They lose to Miami in week three, and then I have them losing – to Kansas City in week six. So I think they're going to start out three and three. And the reason I have them losing to Kansas City is because, let's just face it, they never win there. They never win in Arrowhead. And I think that is going to make them madder than they've ever been. I think that after week six, they've got a bye week. They are going to marinate over this loss all week. And then they're going to come out and absolutely torch anybody that comes in their way. And you look at their schedule, honestly, I don't even think it's that good. When you look at it, a lot of these teams have losing records in my mind. So I think they're just going to absolutely obliterate anyone in their path, and they're going to finish first in the conference. And to finish first in a conference like this moving into the season, absolutely awesome. I think that for Buffalo, who has had its ups and downs in the playoffs, for them to get the one seed, they're not going to be satisfied with it. I think they're going to move on and do big things. I don't. I have not made my playoff predictions yet. I think I'm going to do that once the season begins before week one. And once I, you know, honestly solidified it a little bit, because I've changed up a game or two here and there for teams we've already done. So I'm not going to do that yet, but I do believe that the bills are going to come out and after week seven, just obliterate anyone in their path and looking at this wide receiver room. That's something I want to target on. Stefan Diggs, one of my favorite players in the NFL for a lot of reasons, mostly because of his talent on the football field. He is so good and his swagger and the connection he has with Josh Allen is out of this world. Love that he came to Buffalo. He's doing things here. Gabriel Davis, former UCF player. He's sort of like a Drake London that we see coming into the league, just this tall, athletic wide receiver. So I expect big things from him. Jamison Crowder, as your wide receiver three, is an absolute blessing. To have him come in here, you're going to have four options on the offensive side of the ball when you are throwing, and that is going to be insane to me. You've also got Devin Singletary, James Cook, and Zach Moss in the backfield. Last year going into the season, I thought Zach Moss should have been running back one. I was wrong. Devin Singletary played way better than he did down the stretch. Then you add James Cook. I mean, there are three guys who can realistically run the ball this year. 
You've got him coming in from Georgia as well. Really good running back. Every single running back that comes from Georgia is good. So I expect big things there. Offense is going to be great as usual. And I think this defense is slept on. You hit the nail on the head when you said this secondary could be the best in football. Not to mention Von Miller coming from Los Angeles. He's going to be a huge addition. Ed Oliver, the menace from Houston. You've got Shaq Lawson. You've also got Matt Milano, who is one of the best coverage linebackers in the entire NFL. Love to watch him play. There is no weak spot on this team. The only realistic weak spot potentially could be the running back room. But Josh Allen, when you watch him play, he's one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the league just because he can run through absolutely anybody. So unless injury happens this year, if they don't finish first in the conference, I'm going to be very surprised. Yeah. Um, I actually – I haven't beaten Kansas City. Back in 2020, they went and blew out the Chiefs. So I see a similar thing happening there um, with a worse Kansas City team. So, yeah, I don't think the Chiefs really stand much of a chance with the Bills this year. I, I don't really think any team in the AFC stands much of a chance with Buffalo this year, especially if they get the one seed. Because let's be honest, no one's going to go to Buffalo and beat them in January. It's just not going to happen. The, Agreed. The Bills just seem to be an unstoppable force right now. And, yeah, sure, they're the obvious favorite, but why wouldn't they be? It's the most obvious Super Bowl favorite that there's been in a long time, at least in my opinion. I don't disagree with you. Brandon, you got anything else? No, I agree. All right, Roman, let's hear from you. Recap your division. All right, so I have the Buffalo Bills absolutely dominating the 14-3, also finishing first in the conference. The Patriots actually finished 9-8 and eight instead of 8-9. and nine. I got that wrong. But, yeah, 9-8. and eight. Second in the AFC East. Um, third is going to be the Dolphins at 7 and 10. And the Jets dead last at 5 12. Brett? For me, bringing up the rear, I have the Patriots at 6 and 11, sitting at 13th in the conference. Uh, one game ahead of them at 12th in the conference, I have the Jets finishing at 7 and 10. And then second in the conference for me, finishing at uh, well, second in the division, ninth in the conference. I have the Dolphins finishing ten and seven, then winning the AFC, winning the division, finishing fourteen and three. I have the Buffalo Bills. For me, I've also got the Buffalo Bills starting out this division at first in the conference, fourteen and three record. Got the Miami Dolphins eight in the conference, ten and seven. I've got the New England Patriots twelfth in the conference and eight and nine record. I've got the Jets. Bringing up the rear in this division at 15th in the conference and four and turn four and 13th finishing record. Now, as we uh, end the sports talk today, I know a lot of viewers and um, even me and Roman are anxious to hear about this. But Brent, just give us a rundown of you know how was your month in Colorado and what are some highlights, some some sad things. Just give us you know a complete rundown of what happened. You want me to go first? Or do you guys want to go first? No, you got it. Everybody's ready to hear. All, all forty of us can't wait. Uh, my, it was, it was great. Um, I don't know specifically what everybody wants to know because I could go on about running things, but um, I did just south of two hundred miles while I was there. So um, that's how much I ran while I was there. It was just south of two hundred miles. I did one hundred eighty nine. So um, a lot of running, um, but got to spend a lot of time in the mountains and got to meet a lot of cool people, uh, lots of really, really fast people. Um, so it was a great experience. It was very pretty up there. Um, 
how to do trainings fun. As you can see, I've came back with a nice runner's cough that you've got to hear the entire time we've been <laughs> doing it from all the <coughs> right there, from all the air and stuff. I'm not sick. It's just getting back used to it. It's a little different right now. Um, but have lots of great experiences. Got to meet lots of great people. Um, got motivated for my season. So the month out there was much needed and much appreciated. And I had a lot of fun out there. Um, I mean, of course, if you really want to know, you can ask me more in depth things about that in person, or I guess they could ask me now either way. It doesn't matter to me, but I had a really fun time. And, uh, even though I was, uh, sad that I wasn't able to be here, uh, doing this with y'all, I enjoyed my month and I had a lot of fun, uh, finished it up in Indiana, of course, uh, with the funeral a couple of days ago. So that was, that was good to finish off my trip. I got to see a bunch of family and stuff and just got back last night and am able to do this with y'all. So I'm glad to be back, but I'm really glad I got that opportunity. And if you guys had any questions about that, feel free. I'll start it off. How many runners were there and how'd you finish? What was, what was that looking like? Um, so it was two different, same, same group of like, same group as running the camp, two different camps. Um, first 10 days I was there with probably 150 other people. Um, I was top, definitely top 10 there. Um, if I'm being confident, I'd say top seven, probably. Um, <coughs> there we go again. And, um, but with, uh, some of the fastest guys in the country, uh, with sixth fastest guy in the nation that going into this year was there. I got to run with him a lot. Um, lots of really, really insanely fast guys. Um, people that I never thought I'd get to meet, but yeah, um, 150 people there the first 10 days I was there, probably top seven if I'm being confident in myself, which today we'll say I am. Um, and second two weeks that I, the second 14 days, there was probably about 35 of us. It was a way smaller camp, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and I was probably one or two the entire time. So it was, it was really good. Um, yeah, so to answer your question, top seven, and then the second the second half, I was either one or two. What would a typical day in the like the camp like? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. So um, the first the first ten days I was there it was very very structured. Um, everything was planned out from the moment we woke up to the moment we went to bed. We'd wake up, uh, go to breakfast. Um, based off when we had to leave so if i'm using an example if we had to leave at like 8 30 we'd eat breakfast we leave for our run at 8 30 we get back around um 12 from all the stuff with our run the running part stretches icing and doing all that stuff we'd get back eat lunch and then we'd either have a lecture or a nap um the naps are my favorite but um we did it we do that and then we do um an afternoon run at like 3 30 after we did um whatever uh, i forget what we had in between that time but we had something and then we do afternoon run stretches ice <coughs> oh my goodness i'm struggling to talk a lot and uh, then we would we go to dinner uh have a lecture at night and then we'd um have an activity and then we go to bed um at the second 14 days it was way more relaxed we'd wake up um i would wake up at the last minute in a normal bed instead of a cot and um around i think one day we left at like 9 30 9 50 so that was awesome uh we'd leave for our run we'd get back around the same time 11 50 to 12 after doing stretching and icing and all that we just chill out uh we were in a town called crested butte in colorado 
Uh, so we could go into town. We could chill out at the house we were at. Uh, it was a beautiful house with a beautiful view. Um, we'd spend probably the first uh, 30 minutes in the hot tub at our house. Uh, then we'd watch a movie or something like that, take a nap. And then we'd go do an afternoon run. And then after that, uh, there was either an activity every other night or you'd have dinner with your house or something like that. So it was just a lot of fun. Second two, uh, The second 14 days were very relaxed, uh, very laid back, but still a lot of hard work. And uh, it was a lot of fun, again, to reiterate that. It was amazing. Yeah, I guess, you know, that's all I got. If you want to hear more, reach out to Brent about it, I guess. But uh, Roman, what did your <laughs> week look like? What were you up to? Oh, not much uh, went on over the past week. It's been longer than usual since we've done an episode. So our week recap, you know, time period is a little bit extended. So about a week ago from today, past Monday night, that's the main interesting thing that happened. You guys know that I live in the Grove, which is um, a neighborhood in Lakeland right next to the elementary school. Yep. And there in the Grove is this like this park playground with like swings you know your typical playground and <coughs> crazy yep something pretty crazy actually happened over there uh yeah about a week ago i believe it's exactly a week ago tonight um so a, a video emerges on snapchat that um yeah someone was pretty much found dead right next to oh, wow. uh, that park and initial thought was that a shooting went down but uh, unfortunately, as more details emerge, it sounds more and more like someone took their own life in, in their car Ooh. right next to the park. So, obviously, that's a really, really sad ordeal, really sad story. And it's pretty crazy because, you know, all that stuff happened just a few thousand away from my house. So, that was kind of a tough thing to deal with as, you know, a citizen of the neighborhood and all that. But... We got through it. Everything is fine and all that. Prayers out to whoever's, you know, family has to suffer through that and all that. And just advice to anyone out there that's thinking about, you know, those types of things. It's it's going to get better. Um, y- y- you know, it's not worth it. There's always light at the end of the tunnel and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, kind of an unfortunate thing that happened in our neighborhood last week. But, yeah, other than that, not very eventful. But yeah, that's the main thing that, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, that's tough. I, I had no idea that happened. That's wild. And I love that you reiterated that part at the end. Like if anybody is struggling with that and you think that's the cure for all problems, I, uh, I hate to break it to you, but it's not, it's probably the beginning of them. So I want to warn you with that. Jesus is the only answer. So, um, he's the only thing that can give you peace in this life, not money, not fame. Um, not relationships, anything like that. So um, that's something that we strive to push here as well. So that's the only thing that's going to satisfy you. But moving on to my week, um, it was solid. I was working with Bellevue at a um, some an event we just started called Mission Memphis, which is where our church combines and groups up and goes out into the city and prioritizes serving. And so I was able to go out to Dexter Middle School. Um, they asked me to teach day one, so I was able to teach on how to be teachable, actually which is really cool. Um, I love being able to teach to the kids and just try to relate to them and make them laugh a little bit, but really hone in on um, the lessons. So I love doing that. That was fun. And just the relationships I was able to build over the week with the kids and even the other people I was working with was really awesome. So really big week last week, a lot of work and with, you know, work on my end after 
Mission Memphis. So it was pretty busy, but it was pretty successful. Uh, my girlfriend's birthday was on Saturday, so it was fun to be able to hang out with her for a lot of the day. Um, dinner was pretty expensive, but it was worth it. We went out to get um, Shogun, which is a hibachi <laughs> place. So it was awesome. The guy was amazing, but the paycheck was definitely not. But it was good food, so I enjoyed it. Got to watch a movie after with some friends as well, so that was enjoyable. Um, this week, I'll catch you all up on it again next week as we uh, give another podcast. But I'm in Denver this week, just chilling, having a little vacation before we get back to school less than a week from now, which is pretty wild to think about. It will be going back that quickly. Um, but, yeah, just having a vacation in Colorado. Um, actually, right when Brent leaves Colorado, I come to Colorado. So I haven't <laughs> seen him in about a month now. So that will be nice reconciliation on that Sunday for a fantasy football draft, which I'll be preparing for throughout the week. But oh, pretty solid week last week and uh, looking forward to a great week this week. Capping it off with um, a great weekend. <coughs> Y'all got any thoughts on uh, – 13th episode? I mean, I still got three weeks left until I go to school, so I'm just going to be chilling for a little while longer, but in terms of the episode, I've had a lot of fun. This is our most packed episode we've ever had, but we had a lot to get into, and it was definitely you know exciting to get into all of it, so yeah. Can't believe it's, uh, we've already we've already gone the whole summer doing this. It's been, how many months have we been doing this now? Two and a half? Something like that. Almost three? It's almost, but yeah, August 8th will be three months. Mm-hmm. I remember our first episode just sitting in media class and we went at it for about 45 minutes I don't remember what it was and about we thought that was long <laughs> exactly but hey the views are going up the longer the episodes are so I don't mind <laughs> but we'll see Having lots so, of fun. Uh, yeah so we honestly we also need to get back into doing the top 10s so that we can do. be something that we try to incorporate as we um, kick the school year off Roman it's going to be weird not to see you in class but thank you for watching the 13th episode of Men in Hoodies. Brent, it was good to have you back from Colorado to join us today. Of course. Next week, we're potentially looking at some NFL position rankings as we are in the midst of draft season for fantasy football. So let us know what you think of the podcast. Continue to spread the word about what we're doing here. So on behalf of the Men in Hoodies crew, we thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. The water chose me. There it is. <laughs>